Hello, my name is Ashley, and I'm a volunteer here at Recovery Radio. Did you know that Recovery Radio is heard in over 100 countries? People regularly log into our site from such places as Beijing, China, London, England, Paris, France, and Berlin, Germany. But in addition to these large cities, we get traffic from such places as Baghdad, Iraq, Mogadishu, Somalia, Cape Town, South Africa, and Miga, Ukraine. It is a great honor to serve the needs of the recovery community in all these places, but it's expensive. This is why I'm asking for your help. Please log in to recoveryradio.net and click the donate button. Your charitable contribution is fully tax deductible and will be put to immediate use, helping us fulfill our mission. Become part of the solution yourself and contribute today. Okay, Lee. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Sandy, but I'm an alcoholic. It's been a great weekend. I want to thank Scott for inviting me up. I want to get my watch out. I'm going to try this morning to give a talk on the human ego. And at the end of it, I'm not going to take any questions on the human ego because I'm going to tell you everything I know. (laughs) And uh, if that doesn't answer them, then don't bother asking me. Um, I think I'll start out by telling you a story on myself. When I was in high school, not too proud of this story, but uh, we were driving around on a Halloween night. It was kind of a wet night, just misty. And you know on Halloween when you're a teenager, you're dreaming up practical jokes and stick a firecracker in a mailbox or whatever. And we were driving down this road, but we lived out in the country. It's now a very expensive suburb. And uh, the main country roads had divider lines down the middle, but the, most of the side roads, the other roads were hardtop, but they were kind of narrow. But there wasn't such a thing as a dividing line. So we were driving along, and um, we, the kid who was driving had been to his mother, had, had left stuff in the back seat, and there was a whole bunch of rolls of toilet paper. And I said, uh, boy, I got a good idea. Let's go over to uh, Pease Road and roll a roll of toilet paper down the middle like it's a white line because it'll stick to the middle of that road because it was wet. And then when the road turns 90 degrees left, let's roll it right into the woods. <laughs> and somebody will come along and uh, follow that line. And go into the, it was low brush and all of that, so, and then they might have a nice little accident. <laughs> so we thought that was pretty funny. So we, so we rolled the toilet paper down there, but we took off and never went back, so we have no idea and never really heard. But I was thinking of something funny. What if later on that night, I was driving around and I said, You know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to play a freaking trick on me. I'm going to go drive over there to Norse Pease Road like I don't know any better. And I'm going to drive along, and all of a sudden I'm going to see a freaking white line. And I'm going to go to myself, hey, here's a white line in the middle of the road. I think I'll follow it. Uh-oh, I'm in the woods. Boy, did I really pull one on me. Did I really pull one on me? Can you imagine anything like that? Can you imagine you pull one on you like that? That just did a little damage to my car. Let me read something. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. I know that I can't drink like normal people, but I'm going to make believe I can. Oh, wow, I'm dying. How could I be doing that? What is an illusion? What are they talking about? Do you relate to what I'm saying? I am following an idea in my head and have talked myself into believing it. Even when I'm dying, not just going in the woods, I'm listening to this and having another drink. Watch this. Part of me thinks I can drink normally. Boy, I'm dying from this. But don't worry, I'm going to keep drinking. What does it say later on? The delusion that we are like other people or presently may be has to be smashed. I mean, that's, that's what has to happen to a delusion. It has to be crushed, smashed. Why? Because that's how powerful it is. So how does that tie into what I'm trying to talk about today? Well, one of my heroes, probably my biggest hero, is Chuck Chamberlain. And Chuck Chamberlain has a uh, did a men's retreat many years ago out in California, just like this. And there wasn't a Lee back then, uh, tapers who went around to the conventions. But many years later, when Chuck was um, getting near the end of his life, and they asked him, Chuck, was there ever a time when you were speaking that you felt you were totally plugged in? And he said, oh, yeah, that time up at that retreat with those guys. And they went, jeez. Isn't it a shame that nobody taped that? And as they asked around, they found out that one of the guys that went there brought his little, the old days, a little tiny tape recorder, and he had it just sitting up there. And lo and behold, you could still make it out. And they transcribed it into the book, A New Pair of Glasses, so that we 
are blessed that any time we feel like it, we can go experience that retreat. And the interesting thing in there, and it's very hard to talk about this subject, and I just, when you get old, you just go, screw it, I'll try to talk about anything. <laughs> I mean, how, how the hell can you get embarrassed at age 76, right, Jerry? It's just pretty hard. To... <clears throat> so, let me tell you the bottom line that Chuck said. And this is awful hard to swallow. Chuck said, there is only one problem that includes all problems and one solution that includes all solutions. And um, the problem he lays out in just one sentence. But before I get to that sentence, I meant to make a point when I was talking about the um, illusion that we could drink like other men and we were willing to pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. That's an illusion. And it's an illusion about a very narrow subject, whether we could drink like other men. So I'd call that like a mini-illusion. You follow what I'm saying? Because there's a million other aspects to our life. But what if there was such a thing as a mega illusion? Not a mini illusion, a mega illusion. What do you suppose that would look like? Well, Chuck said there is one problem that encompasses all problems. And that problem is conscious separation from. Conscious separation from. And he goes on to say, from what? Says, from others, from God, and from ourselves. We have a conscious awareness that we exist as a separate entity from all the other people in this room and from God. That problem, all by itself, is the problem that includes all other problems. And so when we are discussing any other problem <laughs> than that one, we're walking by the mega illusion and dealing with things that are just down at the level of the, I think I can drink like other people. So the topic that I chose this morning, oh, and the, the answer that um, includes all answers is awakening. And so the topic that I chose this morning is, is God everything or nothing? You remember that sentence in our big book, God either is or he isn't. He's either everything or he's nothing. What was our choice to be? Now, we all know that depending on the choice that we make, we get entirely different results. I mean, we all we talked about that all weekend. You choose a life with no spirituality and conduct the experiment and bad results. 
we choose uh, to incorporate God into our lives, and um, we get good results. But we haven't gone to deal with the question of, is God everything or is he nothing? So now I'm going to share with you what it felt like for me to put that inside. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, when God's going to be everything, he wasn't everything before. He didn't even exist as far as I was concerned. So now I'm going to reprogram myself. You understand? I'm going to try and take all of my old ideas and get them out of the way because I have an open mind and I want to get spiritual and I'm going to bring in the idea inside of me that God is everything. And I don't know if any of you have tried to do this. Just go home and you're just going, all right, now what does that feel like? Okay, God is everything. What would that mean that God is everything? Okay, God is this watch. God is the coffee pot back there. He's this camp. He's all the trees around here. He's everybody in this room. He's the whole planet Earth. He's the moon and the stars and the universe. There's nothing that exists that isn't God. And God is everything that there is. And I'm going, okay, all right, I got it. He's out beyond the universe. If there's something that started the universe, he's out there. And I would look and I would look and I would go, there's God, there's God, there's God, there's God, there's God. And when I got all through, it came down to this. And I'm telling you, this is me looking at it as honestly as I could. I said, I agree, I can see that God is indeed everything. But there's also me. Now, wait a minute. How could there be also me? Where am I? I mean, if God is everything, I'm included in that, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. I have to be included in that. Okay, I'm... I'm including me in that, but it doesn't come out that way. There's still everything and me. I better go back and think this through again. I want to be totally honest with myself. Is that what I see right now? Do I see that I'm just part of everything? Uh, no. I see that somehow, I don't know how, but I seem to exist in addition to everything. Does anybody else exist in addition to everything? There's everything, and then I'm watching it. I'm, I'm just looking around at everything. And so... How could a person exist in addition to everything? There's only one way that I know. You make up a story that you exist in addition to everything. There it is. Here I am. And then there's all that. 
And the story is self-centered. It's very small. The only one who's in that story is you. You know what I mean? And then the guy next to you has his story. So there's the entire universe and my little world in addition. And Chuck do a picture. If you can see in his book, he has the, everything aligned with me. And me exists in addition to everything. And try as you want to intellectually fix that. When you get all through, it's still that way. I'm still over here. I'm going to make believe I'm over there. Oh, yes, yes, I feel God in my heart. Oh, it's wonderful. I feel just so spiritual. But I'm still got my own deal going that's separate. And that is what he's talking about. Conscious separation from. Our consciousness is telling us that we're not part of this like this finger is part of this hand. If this finger had an ego, it would exist in addition to this hand. And it would have a whole life going on. The hand might be pulling this table and that finger's over there checking out something. <laughs> and worrying about where we're going to sleep tonight and doing all kinds of other things. Which has nothing to do with being a finger. And so, we look at things very narrowly, very close up. If I were to take this cup and put it here and ask you to describe in totality what is there, most of us would say, what is there is a cup of coffee on a podium. And then if we were kind of adventuresome, we'd say, on a stage. But if we got even more adventuresome, we'd go, well, it's a cup of coffee on a podium on a stage in a classroom. Now, that certainly is only the beginning on describing this in its totality. Because the classroom is in a retreat center outside of Nashville, Tennessee, in the country of the United States in the Northern Hemisphere, a planet called Earth, which is in the solar system, which is in our section, our galaxy, which is in the universe. So in order to describe this correctly, we have to say all of that so that I see that little coffee cup as part of the universe just like any other coffee cup anywhere else is. And that is the beginning of seeing ourselves differently. Because that's exactly what a true picture of anything is, is one small part of God's universe. Now, when I was up in um, Oxnard, California, about um, three or four weeks ago, I went to Clancy's group and then 
Brentwood and then Oxnard was having the convention, and my son, my oldest son, is the, um, God, he'll be 52 soon, and he's the drama director of the um, University of Redlands. Where would he have gotten any idea for drama and putting on plays and any of that? I, <laughs> I have no idea. And um, his daughter, his wife and daughter, Zoe is uh, 11 years old, and she is just an amazing grandchild. And so I decided to tell her a story from the podium about the universe to help her understand so that she doesn't get confused by all the other information that she gets. And that's the only way to talk about the universe, to talk about God, or to talk about the ego, is to tell stories. And the stories either work or they don't. You either understand the story about following your own toilet paper into the woods, or you don't. Um, and so I told Zoe that um, this is the straight scoop on the universe, and don't you listen to anything else. So there's a creator of everything, of all the water, the plants, your mother, your father, the universe, the stars, and it's just absolutely wonderful. And this creator can do anything. And sometimes, in order for us to understand this creator, it will appear in a different form. And um, your creator is an amazing goddess, beautiful goddess in a long flowing robe with a belt around the middle, absolutely enormous. And this goddess is composed of nothing but love. When you are near this, you're, you cannot have a problem. You are so happy because of the energy. And from her eyes comes the light. And this is the light that lights the universe. And when those eyes look at you, the light goes in to every part of you so there's no longer a dark part anywhere. It is the wonderfulest light you can imagine. And she can step one foot on earth and her toe is on the moon. Now that's pretty big. One step, she can be at the sun. This is a amazing goddess. And her hair, Zoe, is the most beautiful hair in the world. Every strand is glistening. It is just amazing. It comes down to her shoulders. And her head is so big, she has six billion hairs and knows every one by name and loves those hairs and shakes them around. And, and the hairs love being up there. Just, I mean, they've been there for eternity. And they just love it. And the goddess said one day, I'm going to give a big surprise to the hairs. I'm going to take them to a movie. i got to create a movie theater. I think I'll make a theater in the round. A big round theater. And when you're at this theater, you'll be able to look up like a planetarium and you'll see stars and skies. 
And I'm going to make this the most exciting movie they have ever seen. There's going to be tidal waves and movies and happy events. There's going to be sad events. There's going to be parties and dances. There's going to be wars, and then they're going to stop, and we're going to have peace, and we're going to have... It's going to be exciting, and it lasts 70 years or more. And she just flopped all her hairs down into the movie and told them to have a great time, that this is the show of shows. And she warned each hair. Now, is this, this movie lasts a long time. And I don't want you forgetting that it's just the movie and getting wrapped up in it and worrying about anything because it's just the movie. So I want you all to just have the nicest time. And so you'll notice your grandmother isn't at the movie anymore. She just left the movie. We're always hairs on the goddess's head. And we're either in the movie or not in the movie. And sometimes you leave a movie early. But when you leave the movie, Zoe, you're going to be still a hair on the goddess's head for the rest of time. So the secret to life is to realize there's just the movie and enjoy it. And that was my story to my granddaughter. Only I wasn't talking to my granddaughter. I was talking to me. And I'll tell you why, because that story made me feel good. It made me go, wow, wouldn't that be cool <laughs> if this is what's going on? <laughs> and I'm running around worrying about all this stuff. And it's just a movie. Oh, couldn't be a movie. I mean, you think somebody could be at a movie and fake themselves into thinking they weren't at a movie? You don't think somebody would actually drive down, follow a piece of toilet paper that they put down. You don't think they would actually pursue some illusion they made up into the gates of insanity. I No, I don't think that would be. I guess better not believe that it's a movie. That's too wild, too wild. Not going to do that. The hardest part of awakening starts with figuring out that you're not awake. Why would you want to awaken if you didn't think you weren't awake? Now, that may sound like a trivial point, but it's a very, very difficult part of spirituality is to understand that we're not awake and to become aware of it. And that's what the program does. And it takes us counter to all of our previous ideas until we have an experience, a breakthrough, a little crack in the view that we have. It would be as if you were living your life and all of a sudden saw a big sign in front of your eyes, intermission. <laughs> what is that? It's freaking intermission, man. Go on outside and take it easy. Well, intermission from what? Figure it out. Figure it out. What is intermission from what? 
I'll tell you how hard it is. These are all stories I made up, okay? What if, now see, I, here's a good Hollywood movie. Anybody here like to make movies and think up ideas for movies? This would be an idea for a Hollywood movie. A guy falls asleep and starts dreaming and we can't get him to wake up. He just stays in his dream. Even when he goes to work, he's just down there. Oh, God. Oh, help, help. And, and everybody's trying to wake him up. And they, geez, they do it for a year. And the doctors have tried everything. And they cannot get him to wake up. And so there's some scientists who have developed a machine that can dissolve one of his friends into tiny little atoms and then recreate him in the guy's dream. Wild plot, right? So you're the guy's best friend. And you volunteer. God, I gotta love him. I gotta get him out of there. I volunteer to be de-atomized and reassembled. So now I'm in his dream as a real person in his dream. And your job is to convince him that he's dreaming. You already see how hard it's going to be? So they re take the atoms and you arrive and you're in the dream and there's Joe. And he looks over and he goes, Larry, how you doing, buddy? Wow, am I glad to see you? Good, Joe. Nice to be with you. Look, Joe, I need to talk to you about something. What, Larry? Wait a minute. Why would there that damn dinosaur over there? Um, <laughs> We gotta sit down and talk. See everything here? It's not real, Larry. You're dreaming. Yeah, I know, Joe, I know, but watch out for this thing going. It's, it's, Larry, it's a dream. I need you, they told me if I can get you to agree with me that you're dreaming, we can get out of here. Now, you know your friend. Pick your best friend here. What are you gonna say to him? Do you understand that he may never get out of there? What are you going to say to convince him that that's a dream? That's a hard job. Now try to convince yourself. Now see, the problem is we have the creator of the dream does not want to be found out and does not want you to discover this and will work very hard. And authors and writers and spiritual teachers have tried throughout the ages to talk about this and we've all read it and we can all quote it and we can do whatever we want with it. But it doesn't penetrate the illusion. Just in our book, we talked about the power of this illusion. And over the years, they have spoken about this conscious separation that Chuck Chamberlain was talking about as an illusion. And we conjure up magicians and 
the great illusionists out in Las Vegas. Anybody's ever gone to see those guys? It is absolutely amazing. And so if we took the illusion analogy and we see through that we're just fooling ourselves into thinking that we can drink like a normal person and smash the illusion, we can get free from it. Just like when you learn how a magician's trick works, he can't fool you with it anymore. He can fool you with the other ones, but every time he comes out with the one with the little parakeet in the box, you go, hey, there's the thing there, you know. They already, they already know that one, so I can't do that anymore. Now, who do you think the magician is in our lives? The ego. So once we learn that trick, that we can't drink like normal men, it no longer plays that trick. But there's about 6,000 other ones. <laughs> and in our book, Bill describes this in the following fashion. I'm just putting different ways of looking at the words you already have in your hearts. Our problems, we think, are of our own making. Hey, you want to see a problem that I created? Wait a minute. This is the funniest freaking problem. I rolled a piece of toilet paper down the road on a rainy night and went right in the woods. And then I went around and I said to myself, hey, why don't you drive down that road with the toilet paper on it? And now i got to get my car fixed. Well, don't you see that you did that to yourself? Oh, yeah, I guess I did. Well, how do you think all problems happen? <laughs> the magician says, look over there at those two people talking. He gets your eye off the trick. And then when you look over there, the magician says, they're talking about you. They don't like you. <laughs> Holy cow. What did I do to those guys? I got, I got to call my sponsor. Nobody likes me. How do you know that? It just happened. I mean, I see. And you were driving down a road following a piece of toilet paper. Yeah, yeah, I was driving down a road following a piece of toilet paper. There isn't a problem that isn't created by the master magician. So if we start seeing through them, it's going to take a long time, but everyone that is seen through which is why we have sponsors. The point is to show us a different way of looking at it, not to fix it. It's to go, <laughs> they pulled, you pulled the fast one on yourself. This is what's really going on. You can love everyone. And illusion by illusion, 
we can begin to awaken further and further and further. So there's the illusion analogy that's been used. Then the greatest playwright of all, William Shakespeare, wrote, the world is but a stage and we are actors on it. Now, who hasn't heard that line? The world is but a stage and we are actors on it. And we just go, you know, he's right. We're just like a bunch of actors and we're on the stage. He, 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 he. And then we go, well, what does that really mean? Beats the crap out of me. What does that mean? So I'll tell you a story. You're an actor. I, I tried it with my son. He liked it. You're an actor and, you've, and you haven't had work in a while and you finally do an audition for a play and you get the job. And it's a Broadway play. And it opens and it's very successful. And your role in the play is a janitor. And it's, it's like a stock brokerage firm or an investment firm on Wall Street and there's a two levels to the stage and you're down on the lobby level and then there's offices around up there where the wheeler dealer salesmen and the good looking women and there's all this action that takes place. But the play opens with you sweeping the floor. Do, 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 and then people start coming in and then the action is going on and you're always picking up something and moving something over here. And throughout the play, people in the um, firm where all this action is going on will stop and talk to you for little conversations. You know, Joe, what do you think about this? But mostly you sweep, 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 or you're around in the background, and then the play ends with you sweep, sweep, sweep as the curtain is coming down. And it's getting rave reviews. Everybody loves it. And you're out there sweeping, and you've been there. It's been running about um, two months. And you start realizing that um, this particular role is kind of demeaning. These other actors are getting the girls, and I'm getting the broom. And I'm actually a much better actor than that guy that's getting the girls. And when you really think about it, even though I'm in a hit, I got screwed with this freaking role that I have with this broom. Here they are getting the girls, and I'm sweeping the damn thing up here. I don't, I don't think anybody in the world realizes how hard it is to be as talented as I am and sweep the goddamn floor all the time. Um, I wonder what the audience would think if they knew the guy with the broom was thinking of suicide. I bet they wouldn't be laughing so much at this freaking play if, if they knew what was going on up here. The more I think about it, we got the wrong play in this theater. I mean, you want to see a real play. There ought to be a play about an incredibly talented actor who is forced through chicanery, evil people, 
unfair gods and just meanness all over to sweep the freaking stage while everybody else gets the women. Now that would be a play. That's the one I'm in. All he's supposed to do is sweep the floor. The rest was optional. The rest is what caused all the pain. (laughs) So we just take the broom and sweep. And don't write any other plays. Just be, be in the one that you're in. Because it was designed to make you very happy. Very happy. The unhappiness only lies in the one you wrote. Because guess who wrote it? Your old friend. The trickster. Hey, why don't you follow that toilet paper? Oh, okay. Oh, then the other people, when they talk about it, they go, you know what life is? It's a game. You gotta play the game of life to win. You know what I mean? Life's a game. Oh, okay. Let's get into the life's a game routine. Okay, how do you play the game of life? How do you play the game of life? Well, there's several different ways to play. And we've all played them. You reach a certain point and you go, screw this. I'm going to drop out of this game. I'm not going to play your game. <laughs> Look at those assholes. I'm getting on my motorcycle and I'm getting out of town. <clears throat> or whatever. I'm getting in my airplane and... Or I can conclude that I'm a loser. Why play? Why should I play? Freaking game is fixed. <laughs> I mean, there's no sense playing the game. So I'll stack. Rich guys win. That's the end of the freaking game. I'm not going to play that guy. Game, game. <laughs> or I could say, I'm going to win this game. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. And boy, I do. I get in there and I am. And I'm going and I'm going. And then I don't win. And I'm dying. It's killing me. And I talk to somebody and they go, you know, I used to be a football coach. And we had a team and these kids worked as hard as they could. And we got all the way to the championship game. And we lost it. And it really hurt us. It really hurt us. But most of the kids got over it, but there was one kid that couldn't get over it. So I went over and I tried to snap him out of it. And you all know the line. What do you say to him? Son, it's just a game. It's just a game. Come on. That's what we'd say. 
So anyway, I'll tell you about a game. So I'm studying spirituality, and I'm up in Tampa. And there's a sacred place up there called Ballast Point. And it's right on the water. I can get there on my bike. And when you get there, there's a fishing pier, and you look, and there's Tampa. Looks like Chicago coming up out of the water. And there's a place to get coffee, and people put their boats in there. It's the best view of Tampa that there is. And there's a um, park there. Women bring their children. There's swings. There's barbecues. And it's hardly anybody there. One thing about South Tampa is the lack of people. You get the feeling that you're back in the 50s. It's a very comfortable environment. So I was sitting there, and I was on a bench. I was having my cup of coffee. I was looking over into the wooded area, like not unlike out there. And the, there were people and women with their kids and little strollers and everything. And I looked over there, and I saw something I never saw before, right in the middle of the grass. It was a door with a sign over it, and it said, Exit. I said, exit. I never saw exit. You know, like in rooms, you have an exit, those red exit signs, and there was just a, it was a door. So I thought, I just, I'm going to go over and check that out. That's for maybe when I get up close. I got up close to it. There it was, a freaking door with an exit over the top, and it looked like I was the only one that saw it. The other people were walking around like there was no freaking door there. So I felt like kind of a jerk, you know what I mean? Like, and I went around the other side. There's nothing behind it. It's just a freaking door frame. So I said, "This is stupid," but I'm going to open it. <laughs> I'm going to open the freaking door, okay? So I opened the door, and I just as soon as I cracked it, phew, the light started coming out, and I knew this was good. So I just opened it all the way, and you couldn't believe the light. And I just walked in. And then I pulled the door shut behind me, and I felt this hand. And I remembered the last line, you know, walking hand in hand with the God of the universe. And it was the most wonderful feeling. I'm just walking along and walking along, and now I don't have a problem. There isn't a problem anywhere. And this voice said, did you have a good time? And I said, did I have a good time? Yeah, I don't know what you mean. I said, did you have a good time? I don't know what you're talking about. Look back. So I looked back and there was the door. Only on this side, it said, entrance. And over the top it said, Game Arcade. And he wanted to know if I had a good time in the Game Arcade. Where he dropped me off quite a few years ago and told me to have a good time. It's just a game. I said, you mean all that stuff? Yeah, it's just a freaking game. I told you that when I dropped you off there. I said, Sandy, I'm dropping you off at the game arcade. I'll be back in 50, 70 years. Have a good time. Did you have a good time? I, 
That's not really a game arcade. It's too real. All right, I'll show you. Keith, I'm, you know, I, I told you it's a game arcade. Come here, I'm going to take you back to the biggest game there ever was. And we're back in the Roman Colosseum. And it's the Christians versus the lions. <laughs> and the people are all over the place. <coughs> and there's this little Christian out there, and they let a lion go. And the lion comes out and grabs him by the leg, and the Christian's yelling at him, Stop, don't do it, it's hurting me, it's hurting me, it's hurting me, it's hurting me. And he eats him and eats him and eats him, and pretty soon he eats them all up. And the lion is really full. So they send a gladiator out to fight the lion. And since the lion's really full, the gladiator gets the upper hand and kills the freaking lion. And then another gladiator comes out, and they're going at it, but the lion kind of whacked them up a little bit, so the other gladiator beats him. And then another gladiator comes out and beats him. And I'm watching, I'm going, this doesn't look like a game. And, well, let me take you backstage. So I went backstage, and the guy that played the lion is back there. And the guy that played the Christian is back there. And the guy that played the Christian is giving the guy that played the lion hell. He said, did you ever eat anybody before? <laughs> no. But I went to lion school. Well, what school did you go to? I went to method acting lion school. Well, that's the worst goddamn school there is. That's not how you... <laughs> You're supposed to bite me in the neck. I choke. Then you eat me. You're eating me from the leg up. What the, where the hell did you do that? That hurts like hell. Gee, I can't believe you. Where are they? Who is this jerk? What school is it? You? I can't believe that. And then the two gladiators come in. And uh, the one, the gladiator that got killed by the other gladiator is equally angry. And he said, yeah, I can't believe what you did. What do you mean? I beat you fair and square. No, the only reason you won is because it was in the script. I could whip you any day. Besides, my arm was half off from the lion. So why are you even bragging about it? But you got us booed. I can't believe the stunt you pulled out there. You remember we whack, 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 and I whack, 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 and then you got my other arm off. I'm down. You got the thorns right in my throat. You turned to the emperor. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. And the emperor turned to the crowd, and the crowd said, let him live. And you put the sword right in my throat. <laughs> and they booed. They booed the two of us. Never been booed out there before. <laughs> I told you it was just a game. So what causes the game to work? The illusion of death. So I'm gonna, I have a poem. Are you ready? It's called The Death of a Breath. And all poets, when they're going to do a... Uh, it's only a one-word poem. The Death of a Breath by Sandy Beach. Exhale. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I... <laughs> the Birth of a Breath by Sandy Beach. Inhale. Thank you very much. So you take a breath and that breath is born. And when you breathe out, that breath is dead. 
So we don't like the idea of the breath dying, so we don't let it out. Because we want to preserve it, keep it alive. Did you ever try to not let your breath out? I just don't want it to die. Well, it has to die for the next one to come in. And then it comes in and it goes out. Life, death, life, death. Breathe in, breathe out. What else dies? A wave. Did you ever watch a wave coming? I mean, if you could get in a helicopter, you could get out there and pick a wave and then throw some dye on it. Eight miles out. Uh-oh, the beach. What happens to a wave when it hits the beach? Dead. Gone. Where does it go? I don't know where it goes, but here comes another one. And another one. And another one. And another one. For 1,000, 5,000, 1 million years, 2 million years, there seems to be an endless supply of waves. And you're either being born, roll, roll, or dying so you can go back and roll, 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 so you can go back and roll, 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 so you can go back. There's no beginning and there's no end. It's just in and out and up and down. It's the way it is, the way it always has been, and the way it always will be. So I'm going to close with wrapping it all up with a silly little ditty. Anybody like silly little ditties? <laughs> Everything I know is contained in this silly little ditty. I wrote it on an airplane the other day. And um, here's how it goes. Where can I hide, I said, that I'll never find me? I know. I'll pretend that I'm not me, nor you, nor he. I'll hide in a story and pretend that it's real. Oh boy, what a joke on me. That's called a silly little ditty. Hardly anything we should ever pay attention to, because it's just the silliest thing you ever heard. Where could I hide, I said, so I'd never find myself. I know I could pretend that I'm not me, nor you, nor he. I'll hide in a story and believe that it's real. Oh boy, what a joke on me. Thank you all very much.